from Salesforce Studios, this is Blazing Trails. Welcome to another episode of Blazing Trails. I'm Michael Revo with Salesforce Studios. Today, we deviate slightly from our Leading Through Change series to bring you an interview with a very special guest, activist and world-renowned tennis player, Billie Jean King. King has been named one of the greatest tennis players of all time and holds 39 Grand Slam titles, including a record 20 titles at Wimbledon. And going hand in hand with her impressive athletic career is King's dedication to women's equality and LGBTQ rights. As she puts it, unless I was number one, I wouldn't be listened to. King participated in and won the famous 1973 Battle of the Sexes tennis match against Bobby Riggs, a match that played a significant role in helping women's sports receive greater respect and recognition. Today, she joins Pip Marlowe, CEO of Salesforce Australia and New Zealand, to discuss her journey from young tennis player to global icon, her tips for how leaders can promote equality in the workplace, and why being solution-oriented is the key to success. You'll hear all of this and more on today's episode of Blazing Trails with Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King, I feel like I've become your best friend today. I'm not going to We are to today. Lie. We are, I'm <laughs> loving getting to know your you. Your name is perfect for you, Pip. <laughs> and you are a Pip. You're great. You've got energy um, and you care. You're fantastic. I can see why you're such a leader. You started playing tennis young. Tell us, when did you know that tennis was in your blood? Well, I played all team sports first. Um, I love team sports. Uh, that's one of the reasons I'm going to World Cup also after. A cricket World Cup. Yes, I had. Absolutely, for the women. Um, we really try to help all sports. Uh, and so, um, Susan, Williams, Susan Williams in fifth grade said, do you want to play tennis? And I said, what's tennis? Because I played baseball, softball, volleyball. Basketball was my first love. And I said, what is that? She said, you get to run, jump, and hit a ball. And I said, well, those are my three favorite things. Okay, I'll try it. So I tried it. Um, and she plays at a country club because she comes, you know, dad had a great living, was making a great living. And my dad's a firefighter. I'm going, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't go to country clubs to play, so I'm not going to play. Well, we also played on a softball team, and she told the coach, Val Halloran, oh, I took Billy out to play tennis the other day. And um, Val says, we, they give free instruction here every Tuesday. I go, now we're talking. And so I go home, and I go, Dad, Mommy, I need a racket. I want to play. And my dad says, really? You figure it out. I said, what do you mean? You won't buy me a racket? He says, no, I want to know if you really love it. So um, I worked all summer uh, going to the neighbors um, and they gave me pseudo jobs and I saved nickels, dimes and quarters in the mason jar. So I had $8 and 29 cents. I said, I can't wait any longer. Mommy, daddy, come on, take me. So we went to the Browns uh, sporting goods store and I got my first racket, which I slept with. And I went out to Houghton Park for that free instruction. And at the end of it, I knew what I was going to do with my life. I go, mommy, I'm going to be the number one tennis player in the world. She goes, that's fine. You have homework. <laughs> I mean, my parent, my mother kept us really, really grounded. She was great that way, which I really appreciate now. And um, so that I was off and running. And then when I was 13, I told you I had my yep. epiphany to fight for equality for the rest of my life. And I knew that uh, tennis was global and I'd have I could have an amazing life uh, through it and maybe make the world a better place if I really fight hard. Because as a woman, as a girl, I already knew that it was going to be a tougher road. It just is. People right. listen to men more than they do women. 
It's incredible that, um, you know, I love that story. We were talking earlier. I too played volleyball and softball. I just didn't end up a number one in tennis. So I was a setter. I was a little short to be doing much spiking, to (laughs) be honest. You need everyone. Uh, You do. But um, I was just fascinated there. Touching on your parents and the role they had in your life. It's They're quite, amazing. Yeah, it sounded really exceptional. Like I can imagine my dad saying that to me too. Well, if you really want it, you have to earn it. Right. Well, he's very big on delayed gratification. Yes. Which for millennials and Gen Zs and all is really a tough concept. I'm going to make my kids watch this well, later. With, with technology, you just think something like this so fast. Um, but that's why sports are so great for you. Mm. They do teach you delayed gratification. doesn't matter if you come from rich, poor, whatever. We talk about you need at least mm-hmm. 10 years to be a champion. That's a long time. I mean, you have people in the Olympics that have done something two years. Yes. It would never happen in tennis. So uh, it, it's a great sport for delayed gratification. You have to put a lot of time in. Yeah, in a lot of work. My parents had great values. And I think when you go through life, if, you have, if you're brought up with good values and you believe in them and you embrace them, that they really uh, help you through life, through the tough times, the great times. Um, but my parents were very good and they never asked us if we won. My, my younger brother, I told you, played 12 years of professional yep. baseball. And at 10, he announced, and I'm five years older, but when he was 10 at the dining room table, he said, oh, I've decided I want to be a major league baseball player. My parents both went like this, like, not you too, like what's in the water. <laughs> um, so we both were off and running. So they ended up working three jobs, but mm-hmm. most importantly, they didn't, they didn't care how we, if we won or lost. We, they were ver- more interested in how was your day and then mm-hmm. really get into it. And, of course, we'd be just steaming if we'd lost. Like, oh, I lost. And I'm crazed, you know. My dad would say, calm down. My mother would say, calm down. How'd it go? Did you try your best? And I go, of course I tried my best. My dad said, that's enough. That's enough. It's enough. Yeah. If you gave it, if you're all in and gave it all you had, that's enough. Every so on, they check in with my brother and me, uh, Randy, Randall James. And say, do you still love it? Because mm. if you don't love it, you know, you don't have to play. You can, they always gave us a way out. And, of course, we were crazed. So we knew what we wanted. We never varied one iota. Just we loved it. Having joy in your life that comes from that sense mm-hmm. of purpose and believing in what you do. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you had this incredible sports career. You've continued to have an incredible career. When you reflect now, what's, what's the moment you're most proud of achieving? I'm Both not on done the yet. sports field at, to date. To date, both on on the court and off the court. I don't really have probably one thing, but I just think uh, fighting for equality probably Mm. and being loving, I hope, and kind and good most of the time, which I'm not all the time, that's for sure. But just to try to be kind and good as you go through each life. And everyone matters and everyone has a story to tell. I mean, everyone's interesting. And if they're not interesting, it means you're not right. I feel I'm not writing, I'm not asking the right questions. You've had to do a lot of firsts to get to where we are. Talk, talk to me a little bit about how hard was it to do some of those firsts? If you're the first, the most important thing is you don't want to be the last. <laughs> that is true because um, it's like when you get an award and you're the first woman, say, uh, okay, I'm the first woman athlete to get the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Freedom. And President Obama didn't even talk about my tennis. He talked about equality and LBGT community. So was I thrilled? It was the first time a president had even talked about anything gay. First president ever to mention LGBT. Um, Harvey Milk's nephew was also there to get it posthumously for Harvey Milk, who was assassinated. Great um, LGBT uh, leader in San Francisco. He was assassinated with the mayor of San Francisco back in the 70s. And he also received one. And I 
was thrilled for that because we'd never, you know, if we're gay, we'd never been included. So it was first president. So, but I was the first woman athlete, but they didn't say that. Those are the things that go through my mind. It's like, okay, as long as this is a start, even though it's really, really late, who else is going to get this? How can we push for others to be um, appreciated? And women are not as appreciated as men. They've got tons of male athletes and they were just the athlete. They didn't talk about anything off the field. I'm like, squeeze me. I mean, I think you have to do a lot more than just be great in your sport to do. I mean, I think you've got to give back to others because, um, you know, the light's shining on you when you're performing. But I think you, what makes life purposeful is when you can shine a light on others. And how can you make a difference? Because if you've had a blessing as an athlete to be number one in the world in something, boy, I think I owe a lot to everyone. And people in Long Beach, California, where I grew up, they believed in my brother and me so much and helped us in so many ways. We had free access, first of all, with the parks. We had free coaching. Um, we got money from the, the Long Beach Century Club, the Long Beach Tennis Patrons to go, for me, to go back east and then go to Wimbledon eventually. If you don't have that opportunity, you know, I may want to go to Wimbledon, but how am I going to go? It takes money. And that's another thing I want girls to, to really, and women, to think about when they grow up is understand money, follow the mm -hmm. money. Money is good. It's not bad. Because I can't tell you how often this comes up. You know, I, there were six women young women, 18 to 22, sitting on a sofa the other day, talking to them. And they all wanted to either build a women's shelter, low, you know, low cost uh, living. And I'm like, okay. And I'm listening to them and they're really just totally into this. And they're so caring and so wonderful. I asked them the magical question. And how are you going to do that? They said, what do you mean? How am I going to do it? Well, how are you going to build it for somebody? And they start looking and they're like, I don't know. I said, money, you have to have money to do these things. Yeah. And that's why I fought so hard for women and men for pro tennis, because I was an amateur when we started. And we fought hard for, well, a few of us, very few, fought for pro tennis, got us in trouble. And then after that, then um, really fought for equality. But when we had pro tennis, my former husband said, the men will want to get rid of you. And I said, no, they want, they're my friends. I practice with them every day. And Larry goes, no, they'll try to get rid of you guys. They want everything. They want all the money, the attention. I said, no way. He says, way. So he was right. About a year and a half later, we've lost all kinds of tournaments and places to play. And so the nine of us signed a $1 contract, but it was a huge moment. That is the birth of women's professional tennis, mm. the way you know it today. And so when you see someone win the Australian Open for millions of uh, dollars now, yep. it's because of that moment. that moment. And there's two Australians. There's, there's Judy uh, Tegart-Dalton, who's the oldest member. She's 82 now. And she was a great player. And Carrie Melville-Reed. There are two Australians. As soon as the LTA, the national organization, you know, the of tennis here, saw the photo of us with the two dollars, you know, the dollars, they suspended them directly. And um, we were willing, we didn't care. We're willing to never play again uh, if we could do it. There's three, there's three things we wanted that any girl born in this world would have a place to compete. Number two, that she would be appreciated for her accomplishments, not only her looks, because that's all they talked about with us. 
in the old days particularly. And then the third one, the most important one, to be able to make a living. And that was our dream. And the players today, like the Ash Barties of the world, they're living our dream on the WTA tour. Now we're in 80, 85 countries. We have women from every possible region of the world playing and some making a living. You got to get good enough to make a living. Pro tennis doesn't mean you're going to take care of everybody, but you have, there's a place, there's a way to come up to the top and uh, the top, well, Serena's almost to a hundred million now in, in equal prize, in uh, pri official prize money. Which is incredible. I, so many of us are lucky, I think, to stand on the shoulders of people who came before us who made a difference. And, you know, that's what you talk about is, you know, giving more people a seat at the table and a voice at the table. It's the voice, right. Fighting, even though you may not benefit for something yourself, fighting for the rights of others and for the people who come after. That is a sense of real purpose and, and courage that you do because you're not trying to necessarily benefit. You want to make sure that every girl on the planet can play tennis. Right. That is Because we know boys a, have a chance, but I would have both. I like everyone being together, but the men rejected us. I still am praying that the uh, WTA and the ATP, the two unions or associations for, you know, ATP yeah. for the men, WTA for us, I'm still praying that we'll be one because I they rejected us and I wanted us to be one. And it's funny, we're going to the, you know, uh, World Cup cricket and I applaud them because they'll do better together and also for the rest, they do better as far as making the world a better place. A hundred percent. And I, I love the work that Chris and Tennis Australia have done oh, it's and fantastic. the Australian Open mm -hmm. around diversity and inclusion. Australia's been great. Uh, it's great. I love seeing it in rugby. I know the sevens, Australian seven girls also train with the men. Mm -hmm. Both teams say it makes them better. It does. The girls are fast and agile and the boys <laughs> play differently, so they yes. learn some different skills. And that's what we want to do is actually say, actually, we are better together. We and are. If we're only tapping into half of the population, then we're missing an opportunity You're absolutely on to be better. You're absolutely now, right. it's not always easy, though, to get to this point. Um, we're not to this point no. yet. No, we're, well, like we're still got a way to go. But well, you're an example of um, your leadership is an example of women doing better. Because when I was young, you never would have had this position in a million mm -hmm. years, which is fantastic. So as I travel and I see all of you and I see all the women working now, it's so, that is inspirational to me that all this work has been worth every little drop of sweat, every bit yeah. makes me so happy. Now I know exactly how you feel. Now I have to ask you this question, both in your fight for equality where we're not there yet, but also on the tennis court. How do you get your head into the right place when you've had a setback? Well, I, 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 I put them in three different categories. I have mental, emotional, which I think is the most important one at the very top, and then obviously um, the physical. But it's really about your head, your heart, and your guts being together and working in unison. And you'll find when you're not having all three on all cylinders, that's when you have a challenge. And most players never have three. They usually have two going, two other ones going. It's very interesting. The very best players in the world, the difference is, is the emotional aspect, how they um, think they deserve it. A lot of kids, I don't know what happens to them. They get to a point where they are going to, to they could win like you're talking, mm -hmm. and they don't believe in themselves. But I think a lot of it is they don't think they deserve it. So when I talk to players, I say, you deserve the, the best that life has to offer. You deserve the best. And they kind of look at you like, really? So I can tell they've grown up with not great messaging because they do deserve it. Every human being deserves it. 
So it's the emotional side, but it's those three things working together that you know you're when you're in the zone, but athletes talk about. It's you're in the now, you're in the process, but that's what you want for life. That's what you learn in sports, okay? And then you take it from the field or the swimming pool, wherever you've, you're, whatever sport you're in, okay, I'll say court here, that then when you get in real life, in business every day, I use uh, something I learn in sports. That's why I want girls to be in sports. I don't care if they're any good. They don't have to be a great athlete. But girls are not taught to trust their bodies. They're not tr- taught to trust themselves. And they have to change. And they have to stop being perfect. They have to stop it. This is what happens typically in business. There'll be a work application to fill out. And a guy will look at it. Let's say there's 10 points to it. And a guy will look at it and go, I can do five of those. Oh, the other five, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I'm going to go get that job. Here's what a girl, this is what a woman says to herself a lot of times. There's 10 there. I can do nine of them really, really well, but I, I don't, I'm not sure I can do that 10th one. So maybe I won't even turn it in if I can't do all of them. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Just go for it. That's one problem. And also, um, women are hired on performance too much. Yeah, you were talking about that before. Right, and boys on potential, potential. men on potential. Please, everyone in business, I ask this of you. When you go to hire, when you look at a woman, that you look at her potential as well, not just her performance. Because with men, for some reason, they look at they look at a guy and they go, "Oh, I wonder how he can be. Maybe he can be a great leader later. Maybe he can be a CEO. You know, maybe be a head of marketing. You know, like they don't ever ask a woman that. They go, "What have you done in the past, basically?" And that's how they hire you. And so I'd like every person who is in a position of power that hires people that they'll think about potential for everyone and not just for men. And it's funny when you talked about your head, heart and gut being congruent. And I often, I listen to tennis players when they accept, they go, you know, I've worked hard, you know, I know I deserve this. Part of me goes, oh, you know, I, I've read, go, I can't imagine saying that, but they're right, they do deserve it. It doesn't mean other people don't as well. No, they work like so hard. They work so hard and it's amazing to have that confidence to say that. And I think that's an incredible gift you get yeah. from working so hard like that is, and it doesn't mean other people don't deserve it as well. It's not an either or, it's, hey, I'm hard for that. It's, yes. all, it's very fleeting though. As an athlete, as a performer, it's very fleeting. It's extremely fleeting. So don't get caught in this is going to be forever. And know it's about gratification from the audience, not love. Some people need that. They think it's love. So they need that little hit every day of mm. love, like uh, performers. So you have to be really careful you don't get into that. If it's gratification, not love. So, uh, you know, for the moment, half the time you can't remember who won the last tournament anyway. So you have to, you have to do it. I love to play. I love to hit the ball. Mm. I loved it. It's so so much when fun. going for success then? You say, I feel that sense of love and passion love for it, it coming out of you. Yeah. From a leadership message, you know, from taking from the sports court to the leadership you've shown in the community, what do you think is most um, important or one of the most important attributes of leading in something like this in sports or in the community? Everybody has a chance to lead. I don't think they realize it. And it might be in a very small way. It might be in a very big way. You don't even notice sometimes. Uh, most of the time, people choose leaders. They push a person to the top. Um, that's what used to happen in even primary school. Billy, you do it. You're the leader. You do it. You do it. Even with the tennis, all the players basically said, you're our spokesperson. 
when I embraced it, then I embraced it 100%. And ever since then, I've just, it's okay. Um, but it takes a lot of responsibility. You're alone, a lot more respect. But I think as a leader, but even if you're going to work at a place, you have to buy into the dream. You have to own the dream. Like if I go to work for a company, like let's say Salesforce, I would look at your values. I would look at all that. But I would absolutely embrace it and own it every day, 24-7, and try to make a difference in that company. Because if I make a difference, um, then I'm happier. It's just that inner mm -hmm. success. Then good things happen, usually follow. Don't even, don't even have to almost plan it. People will push, will champion you if you do the right thing. It's, it's amazing. Just do the right thing. It, it'll come out all right. I'm not going to win every time. But I find people, you know, uh, leaders don't choose followers. Followers choose leaders. Yeah. So I'm it's really right. about, what but about you? I mean, you're in a leadership role now. How did that happen? Well, I was um, very lucky that I have had some incredible mentors and mm -hmm. people actually believe in me before I believed in myself. There you go. Um, when you said before that sort of girly thing, I remember having uh, one of my mentors asking me if I, you know, ever aspired to do a particular job. And I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, <laughs> and um, giving me a bit of a wake up call and said, well, if I was offering, you know, if, you, if I was trying to offer you the job and you said that, I wouldn't give it to you. I was like, because in my head, I was like, well, yeah, I would do want it. But I, I didn't know how to say that that was what I wanted without either sounding arrogant because humility, I, I want to be a humble person. Girls and I was, that. I was in this tension between mm -hmm. these things that I wanted to be and I didn't know how to hold ambition and humility together at the same time. And since then, I've come to know that two things can be true at the same time. You can have a drive and be competitive and still be humble and gracious and kind. Yeah. They don't have to be things that pull you apart. Right. You can honour both things at the same time. But I needed a little bit of maturity and experience and help um, to get to that right. point. So somebody championed you. Yes, I've had a lot of people right. champion and me. And you look at your own lives, everyone, if you start thinking about the person who, you only need one person to love you unconditionally in your life. When you get started, if just one person, you don't, you, maybe your parents didn't work out right. Maybe you had to mm. choose your own extended family. You don't, I don't know. Everyone's got very different stories. Um, but the point is you only need one. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, you have to love yourself. So let's say you don't have anybody. Love yourself. Be good to yourself. You deserve it. Um, and keep going for it. And also girls are not I can't believe how often this still holds true. We don't ask for what we want or need. That's what you're, I heard that in you yep. when you were trying to be humble, gracious. That's, we're supposed to be girly. You know, just forget it. Ask for what you want. There's a nice way to do it. Yep. Um, say, I'm, I would, this is my dream. That's what I'd like to do. Maybe you could give me some, you know, um, help on that. I don't know. What do you think I should do? Um, I How think to, you know, I th but you've got to, it's okay to say, I want to be, it's okay to say, uh, I want to be CEO. Why not? Or whatever. I mean, if I hadn't gone through all my sexuality challenges of the seventies, mm. when I played Bobby Riggs, um, we had 90 million people watch it all over the world. It's a huge match. Only the third, third year professional tennis and women's tennis in particular, our tour. And, um, if I hadn't all my sexuality challenges then, I think I would have wanted to be president of the United States. But, you know, for a girl to think like that, mm -hmm. this is just later thinking about it. But I, everyone used to come up to me after the match. Are you going to go into politics? You should go into politics. Every, everyone, you should run for office. You should run for office. I mean, you know, local and then state and then up. I go, 
uh, thank you, it would be great, but uh, I'm still playing and I'm not going to. But deep down, it was, there's no way with my challenges of being gay and not knowing at that time what I was really. I don't it's, know. If I, didn't, I didn't have a clue. I was trying to find myself. It's incredible because you're talking about a number of things there. And for me, you know, what resonated is this thinking that actually you've got to break through. You've got to give back. Um, and when you get to a certain point, you get what I think of is the privilege and responsibility to change a system. Mm-hmm. At some points, you're changing at the micro level and you are you're getting, being able to do that. But I think when you get to a position of responsibility and power, mm-hmm. you have the ability to change the system. And that's what I think you have done is helped change the system at a macro level. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how you used your platform to change the system for, you know, for equality, for a woman. How did you get to think that big? I got the women to believe, and I think some of them believed already. We weren't thinking about nine of us making a living. <laughs> we were thinking about the entire world. So when you think about equality, I don't think it's good just to think about, oh, our national team, we want equality. No, think about your league. Think about, you know, thousands of girls being able to play. That's what you should be talking about. That's true equality. Having the same money for 20 people, it's a good way to start, but that's not, to me, that's not the dream. And sometimes I feel like um, we come short, we, we dream too small. You can start with that and say, we're going to start with that, but what really matters is our league. Like there's nine teams in the U.S., I want them to talk about that because that can grow from nine teams to 30 teams, 40 teams. There's no reason it can't keep growing like leagues in all countries. So, Tommy, um, you talked about changing the system, wanting every girl to be able to compete, have a place to compete. So what advice would you give to people who are thinking about how they can agitate for change? What is it that they can do to help think big, change the world? Well, you have to really, you got to think a lot about it because just remember everything you do has a consequence. Yeah. And it's really be careful. I'll give you a perfect example. Before we signed that $1 contract, I went, I said, just wait one minute. I went around this wall, pay phone in those days. I don't see those anymore. Um, I talked to the head of the, our uh, USTA, which is our governing body, mm-hmm. and said, because we tried to get a tour, start, them to do a tour for us, and they kept saying no. So I, sa- I told him, I want you to know this because I don't want you to read about it in the papers tomorrow. I want you to know that I'm calling you to tell you, are you sure you won't do a tour? If you'll do a tour for us, we don't need to sign this $1 contract. And I'm very happy to go back and tell everybody we're not doing it. He says, oh no. And he said, don't you dare do it because you'll, you'll never play the US Open again. You'll never yeah. do this. I said, you've given, me, you've given us and me no choice, but I wanted you to know it. I wanted to be diplomatic. So you've got to be careful. You can't just burn bridges all the time. Remember, relationships are everything. Relationships are everything. So if you tick somebody off today, they won't forget later. So you just when you're going up the elevator and success, just remember when you come down, if you've been burning your bridges all the way up, yeah. nobody's going to give it, you know, what about you on the way down. Sometimes we make the right choices, sometimes we don't, but you have to go for it. And it's okay to be a disruptor, but make sure that you don't complain, complain, complain. What I, when the women used to come up to me and go, Billy, and they go, complain, complain. I go, I hear you. At first I listen. More importantly, do you have a solution? And they looked at me like, what? I said, you guys, you cannot, we cannot just complain. If you notice, I say we, I don't say you. Because every time you say the word you, I started to say that and I changed it to we, I caught myself. If you say you, it means you're attacking them. So always, I always included we, 
we, you know, it's a we thing. Um, I said, uh, we can't just complain, complain, complain. We have to have a solution. Complaining is easy. Complaining yeah. doesn't take any thought. Just really come up with solutions. You're the ones that are going to advance. Well, your sense of learning and growth and leadership has made you not just iconic on the tennis court, but I think iconic um, across the globe. And certainly um, it has been more than a privilege spending some time with you today. So thank you. Thank you. That was Billie Jean King and Pip Marlowe. To get more great interviews like this, be sure to hit that subscribe button. And if you're a business leader looking for resources to help you through today's COVID-19 crisis, Salesforce is here to help. Head over to salesforce.com blog for practical insights, helpful tools, and more information on how you can lead your business through change. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you back here next week. Blazing Trails is a production of Salesforce, a customer relationship management solution committed to helping you deliver the personalized experiences customers want. So they'll keep coming back again and again. Salesforce, bringing companies and customers together. Visit salesforce.com learn more.